This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Crazy experimental, you know, governmental. I don't know. Planes that they're and police in Espanola are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. Weird animal-like creature that was shot. Wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome everybody to Strange Uncles. I am Shane. I am John. I, I'm Josh. Oh, there was nothing uh, there. Nothing. <laughs> it's been a long week. Oh yeah. wait, it's Monday. oh god, it's been a long week. What a week, huh? It's Monday, <laughs> Lemon. Mondays, am I right? You know what? I will say. Well, I told you guys earlier. My day start out with a uh, puncture, like a look like a knife puncture on the side of my tire in my so, car. Shane, there's some some things I've been meaning to talk to you about. Like um, moving out of downtown Salt Lake apartments? Uh, no, that was a warning. Next time it's <laughs> going to be more than your tires. <laughs> Touche, sir. You know, if it was you, I'd smell from ear to ear and I'd pay for that gladly, that repair. But God damn it. No, that was how my Monday started. You know, I haven't drove the car for like four days and I walk out and bam, there it is. You know, just all its glory. Damn. In the sidewall, huh? Yeah, you can't fix those things. You know, it's just kind of... That's fucking weird. Do you have any enemies? I, You know what? I don't have one ever that I know of. Even my ex-wife, but maybe I don't know. I don't know. It's probably just some fucking bum, and you happen to be the luck of the draw. You know, the whole thing is, it happens here. I was talking to other people on their trip, and they're like, yeah, every now and again, Mm. we get a fucking, you know, our tires slashed or a window broke. Like, no reason. You know, and again, in the sweet part of town. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't want the listeners to think that Salt Lake City is awful because honestly, out of all the cities I lived in, Salt Lake City is it's a city, but it's pretty fucking clean for the most part. I mean, really, it's not that bad. We're we're a pretty we're okay here. Pretty laid back city. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but we sit right in front of the homeless park. And so. I don't know. You know, we and do have a homeless park. So we do that. have homeless yeah, park. A buddy of mine, my old roommate, actually had a condo across the street uh, from that park, uh, mm. catty corner from where your complex is. And uh, yeah, they used to have the same same shit. The same the shit. Yeah. So anyway, with all that being said, yeah, between the votes and the whole election, and everything else going on, you know, it's been um, it's been crazy. For the most part, but we did luck out. I don't know. You know, we got winter shifting our side. We tried to get this guy on before Halloween. Um, wasn't able to do it because he is absolutely booked. And he actually says in the interview, but literally it seems like he's got three or four interviews weekly that is mm-hmm. happening. And so we were lucky enough to kind of get him on. Um, the, one of the reasons we wanted to do it before Halloween was because, of course, you know, it's Halloween. He is a demonologist. This is what he does. This is what he researches. Um, it didn't quite work out, but I don't think that's the end of the road, boys. I mean, I think it's still worthwhile to kind of have him on, especially after listening to the interview. I think he's, I don't know, there's questions there, you know? Spooky stuff isn't just for Halloween, Shane. Yeah, it's spooky stuff is life. 
True, that absolutely. And you know what? This is life, and I don't know, like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to sleep well tonight thinking about it. We'll see, you know, what we have. But we were lucky enough to have Nathaniel Gillis on, um, and we're going to play his interview here after the fact. But uh, I just, man, very enlightening, different, I, I guess if nothing else, it's a different thought pattern, different theory of just demonology in general and possession in general. Kind of knocked me back a bit. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a very unique uh, perspective on the field, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think so, and one that I haven't heard much before. So, anyway, hopefully you guys enjoy this. Um, again, this is Nathaniel Gillis. Open the gates. Welcome to my nightmare. I think you're gonna like it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Nathaniel J. Gillis is an author, lecturer, and religious demonologist. After being in the deliverance ministry for 15 years, Nathaniel felt called to bring his gifts and research to a more secular venue. The experiences he had as a child while living in a haunted house inspired him to research the fields of demonology and paranormal. In addition to such disciplines, Nathaniel is also the founder of Preternatural Epiphenomenal Philosophy. It is his belief that demonology is not the study of new life, but the study of old life in a new way. Nathaniel, welcome to Strange Uncles. Thank you so much for having me. I've been excited about this show for a while, and uh, thank you for having me, really. No, um, absolutely. And and I think, like we uh, kind of stated before, I picked you up on another podcast that I heard, and I, I personally was kind of... Yeah, yeah, I'd say, you know, blown back a little bit on your viewpoints. You know, we we cover a lot of this when we do this podcast and we, and we do different, you know, whether it's cryptids or aliens or, you know, anything weird. I, the podcast I listened to you on was a little bit more conspiracy, but I felt you fit kind of in that narrow band of what we look at. And there's so many people involved in what they think the answer is and what they think the theory is and, and what your theory is um, kind of blew me away. And I, I actually can't, you can't wait to kind of get into it. So um, <laughs> I, I guess the first thing is just simple, you know, lay this out for our listeners a little bit. Now, what even occurred, what even got you down this road initially? Well, I was confronted by a malevolent presence in a home that I moved into. I was eight years old when my parents took me to an open house They led me into what would be my future room. And they said, you know, take a look around. We're going to go talk to the realtor about some pricing and just kind of get an idea of where you're going to place your belongings once we close the house, close on the house rather. So uh, when they left me, I was alone in the room. I was kind of poking in and out, open the closets, look under everything. And for some reason, I was drawn to the bed. And to my utter demise, surprise, I knelt down and pulled the bed flap up and was met face to face with a uh, full bodied apparition. Oh my God. She was a beautiful, beautiful little girl though. I couldn't believe it actually. And uh, she was, had to have been around six years old. She had pale, a pale complexion, long black hair, and she was wearing a white linen dress that looked to be made during the turn of the century. And uh, when I, we, we made, we made eye contact. And when we did, I kind of jerked back in astonishment and uh, as a response, she shimmied her body to the back of the room. I'm going to put this back down here so you guys can see that I'm not just waving my arms back and forth. And actually <laughs> in my You're really all up a hand, Dr. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was her response. She shimmied her body back to the, 
uh, wall, the furthest from me to where her, her back was pushed up against the, the white wall. Hmm. And um, it made an impression on me. And it wasn't until we were in the car going back to our house that I I asked my parents, I said, what was this? You know, what was I experiencing? Did this, was this child left behind, right, from the people that are selling the house? Or was she a neighbor child, neighborhood child that just snuck in? I didn't know where to place her. And uh, my father was very short and stern and said, look, you know, this was an old couple and it was an estate sale. They had passed away and, you know, this child for all and all intents and purposes should not have been there. And so that was my first experience Mm -hmm with this field once we moved into the home the entity itself mutated into ghosts uh, shadowy fig shadow figures there would be a a milk like a smoky apparition that would just weave its way through my doorway at night and then it was the nightmares one thing that really impacted me even later on in my research was uh, the smell the rancid stench of decomp that would be present whenever that entity would manifest. And so that was my introduction. It was more of a confrontation. It was more of a Mm. language to me at the time. That was the really, really the only way I was able to rationalize what I was experiencing outside of just being a pure victim, you know? So, so I, I don't know. So I, my first question with that is, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously, you know, you're a child when that happened or fairly young when that happened, How, how do you, differentiate the like put that together in your head i mean how long did that actually take to kind of puzzle that into one thing to go oh this is what this could be three years okay see beyond the night terrors beyond the nightmares beyond the stench of disincarnate consciousness uh, there would be an entity that would displace his weight on our wooden floors at nighttime. You could hear him creaking. It would lead and walk all the way up to my door and just stop. Uh, so, you know, I, I was forced to confront this presence. And being so young, I had two options. I could, uh, you know, I could deal with it and I could say, you know, what is this? I had, you know, so I was forced to rationalize it, I should say. And the one thing that really aided me in that uh, was approaching this entity as a language system. Yeah. In the sense that, what you know, was I afraid of it because I should have been or was I afraid of it because I didn't understand it? And that was my self-preservation mode. Hmm. And once I kind of understood that, what I would learn to do whenever that entity would manifest is I would say, listen, Nathaniel, you don't understand it. Therefore, you're afraid of it. And so later on in my career, it was the focus was I want to understand it now. Yeah, that's a pretty mature uh, thought process. Absolutely. I had no other choice. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's kind of fight or flight at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that, yeah, that, and that's amazing for that. And I think that it, when we deal with this field, I think a lot of us are in that same similarity where we don't, we, we don't know, you know, if we're, if you don't know something, human nature says you, 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 you just got to be afraid of it. Right. 
right. mean, that's human nature in general. That, that's what we do. Whether it's, you know, animals, you know, you get attacked by a bear, you don't know why a bear is attacking you. It's what it is. It's the same thing. And it's even worse when you get into something like that. So, you know, so that's amazing. First of all, that's, that's, so my next question going and John, Josh, I'm sorry, whenever you guys want to jump in, you're good. You know, I just, uh, I I'm fascinated by this because I've, I've dealt with this a little tidbit on my side, but I never really got to the point where it, it affected me to that. And there was this new thing. So once you, once you find out what it is, you're, you're kind of making understanding of it. Where yes. does that leap from where you're at now to what happened then? Where does that platform start? Well, I wanted to understand the manifestations. I look at hauntology. There's a big Fraser Crane word for you. But I look at hauntology through a behavioral analysis scope. These entities cannot manifest in our world without leaving some foot kind of footprints, right? And so I wanted to understand their behavioral patterns, I liken um, haunting investigations, I liken those to going into a crime scene and trying to reverse engineer the thought patterns, the Hmm. victimology and the pathology of these entities. Now, do you do that? Do you think because it's it brings some realism to it a little bit where it's a little bit more thought planning? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They're ritualistic. And so one of the ways that I have kind of merged and two fields into one is I've, I've been researching a lot on serial killer pathology and how that they're psycho, uh, yeah, psychopathic and how they have their own victimologies and how they're just, you know, it's just the same mindset that these entities have. Uh, but yeah, in hauntology, when I do a case study, I want to know the manifestations. I want to know everything. What are you smelling? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are your, what's your thought life like? Have you been hearing voices? What, see, so that's my point is whenever they manifest in our world, it's like touching a pool of water. You can see the ripples. And if you can see the origin of the ripples, you'll see where the entity truly is. Not only that, but what it believes in. Wow. (laughs) And so the profundity in that thought is, is that we now know that they're ancient, at least in their belief system. Okay. So, so let's, okay. <laughs> this There's is a lot to unravel, right? I really get, yeah, I, I'm glad I wore my boots. I don't know if you guys did. I feel like this is getting a little deep, a little thick on our side. Um, here's a couple things. I, Nathaniel, I got questions. So, yep. Number one, I, I guess my thing is when you started researching this and going into it, are you one of the – do you kind of go down what a traditional – you know, you have these books that were written, you know, turn, 16th century type thing right. where it, it defines which demons are which. Do you really give any accolades to that or is this something that that to you is separate from what you're seeing and what you're part of? Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They eclipse any modern demonologist right now, hmm. including myself. There is nobody hmm. living right now in academia or in these, uh, you know, in hauntings and researchers. That's anything like Father Sinistrari of Amino or any anything like Bernard of Gordon in the medieval ages. Nothing like them. I mean, we're talking about uh, researchers who would literally say these entities would manifest. They would literally uh, take coagulated water. They would take water in its liquid state, solidify it, step into it just so it can manifest. Wow. Okay. That's how far beyond what they we were. Know. Yeah. 
Exactly right. And so to a degree, I do take what they have to say at heart because they were a lot more honest regarding what they were experiencing. Because right now, a lot of what we're experiencing is filtered through religious dogma. They were more Mm -hmm. honest in the sense that when they would go to an incubi case and collect semen samples, they knew and were honest enough to say, hey, listen, it looks like they're getting this from dead people. You wouldn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, but well, first of all, let me stop right quick. So I, John, Josh, I don't know if I told you, but I do have a piece of black tourmaline in my pocket because I knew I was setting up for this interview. <laughs> it's, it's a mineral that kind of just kind of cleanses for the most part. But so let's get into the bulk of this for, because, you know, if I was listening to this for the first time, I, I would be kind of like, well, okay, where, where's this going? Where's this stem from? Let's start basic and just describe. And this is something on, on my side. I've heard of the Nephilim, you know, I've heard of them. I, to, to my understanding, you know, and again, we've been into this, you know, back and forth, all three of us for, for a while, but Mm -hmm. this is kind of more, I I guess on my, my niche. Um, I always thought, you know, of course you talk about them being giants. They walked the earth before type thing. It never went past that. So I feel like we've got to set up that a little bit and more of a definition on your side, if you don't mind. Most definitely. We're dealing with afterlife phenomena, period. When we go into Genesis 6, which is what the, where the Nephilim originated, it's what in academia is called the etiology of evil. It's the origin, not just of evil, but of quote-unquote demons. What, what we have to understand, though, when reading these ancient texts is, is what's called comparative etymology. So in, in, the, in the Levant, in the, what's called the cradle, cradle of civilization, you have words that are the same words that that and those those words are often used by two or three different groups of people and two or three different groups of in, in religions. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, and so one of those words is malakim. Malakim, before it was employed by the Hebrew language in Genesis six, it meant deceased ancestors, ghosts. Hmm. Okay, so in the Old Testament, in the late Iron Age, the Hebrew language took Malachim from another religion, a neighboring religion, moved it over, transposed it into their religion and said, it's not ghosts, it's angels. So, okay, stop right there. Sorry not to cut you off, but so how did that, who did that? When, when you think, do we it was, know? It was an, I'm sorry? Do we, do we well, know? Like, do we know what group went, okay, we're going to put this yeah, over look, here? Whoever wrote the passage of Genesis 6, because we know it wasn't someone who lived through it. We think it was Moses, but we cannot prove it. So by the time Genesis 6 had matured enough in that religion, it had already existed for thousands of years. The legend had existed. And so at that time, what they did is took the legend of someone falling, which we have to define that term too tonight, and then said, okay, we're going to take that, kind of re- revise it, transpose some of it into our own religion and say that they're not ghosts, they're gods. They did the same thing with the Rephaim. <clears throat> the Rephaim is supposed to be a species of the fallen angels, right? The giants. Well, just turns out that the Rephaim also means deceased ancestors. Oh, okay. Right. Now, now going along with that same thought pattern, that's why in the New Testament, when Apostle Peter was thought to be dead as a martyr and his family's gathered for dinner and there comes a knock at the door, what did they say? His family said they thought it was Peter's angel 
I'm getting excited. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, you're you're no, fine. Right? I just said you're sucking it they all in. It Interesting. Was, Sorry. Yeah, go they, for it. they thought it was his angel. Why they didn't think it was his angel? They thought it was his ghost. Oh, okay. Right. Right. Okay. The apparition looked like his looked like his body. Right. And so, what we have to understand first and foremost is that we're not dealing with angels that fell. We're dealing with what were called um, divinized ancestors who, after they died, they were elevated in a place of semi divinity. Hmm. Right? Okay. And then, through what I call the mortal portal, they were born back into bodies and existed again among us nephilim okay so let me stop you there how yeah. like what how? how does that get from this to this okay so in order to understand genesis 6 we have to go to a coptic manuscript written by written and preserved by egyptian monks it's called the apocryphon of john the Apocryphon of John details the behavioral pattern of what we in modernity call incubus, incubi. It says that these entities, these apparitions, these ghosts, literally waited until the husbands to these wives in Genesis left. They could have went to the grocery store or anything. But these entities waited until these wives, these women were alone. And then they appeared to these women as if they were their husbands. Doppelgangers. Doppelgangers. Ah. Shapeshifters. And then they used that to gain access to them physically and sexually. Now, this goes back to the understanding that they're ancient, at least in belief system. At the moment of conception, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> These entities stare directly into the faces of these women and reverse their apparition to what they truly looked like. At first blush, we would have never understood why they would do that. It's a weird phenomenon in itself, but what's the purpose here? It's not until you understand that that was what's called an abstractic tradition in Mesopotamia. Abstractic is a word that it's a reference to fertility and childbearing. What it was, was that they believed that whoever the woman was looking at at the moment of conception, usually her husband, that image is the image she will birth in her womb as a child. Hmm. Hmm. Watch this. Why would they gain consent through looking like the husband and then reverse their apparition to what they really look like? I'll tell you why. They wanted a body that would look like their apparition. And so what they did is they designed this, this, this elaborate scheme to create a body for themselves. And that's, and, their, not, and that's the purpose is so yes. they can live again. That's their purpose is to have another body on earth, an actual right. physical body. Right. That, that looks like them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's different yeah. than transient possession. Transient possession is placing consciousness in a body that doesn't look like the ghost. Right. Has a different belief system, has a different language. And so it has to be transit. This was different. 
And so what they were literally doing is 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 implanting a baby in, in the womb, just like an incubus does, and then killing it and then stepping into the skin with their own consciousness. That's fucked up. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh out loud, but th- so this is what, okay. We have a break coming up real quick, Nathaniel. We're going to take that um, and then come back. I, we, I want I want to continue on that same premise, but I want to simplify some things because I'm yeah. full of questions. I'm sure that listeners listening are going to go, well, what about, well, what about, and I want those answered on the side. So if you don't mind, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back. Um, everybody stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, everybody, we're back with Nathaniel Gillis. Um, so I think amongst everything that we've been hearing, again, this is a very, you know, you you hear about demonic possession, you hear about um, uh, Nephilim, and I pronounce it wrong, I apologize. I, I always known as uh, Nephilim. Um, let's simplify things and categorize things a bit because I feel there's some listeners, I know in my eyes, I'm, I'm looking at like, well, how, what's the difference between a and B right. when you look at basic hauntings. Okay. You see your grandmother sitting in front of your bed. You see a, a girl that's, you know, getting water by the creek. She doesn't really exist. Ex- explain that difference between what we know as a traditional, what we call a ghost, right? Spirit. Mm-hmm. And what you're discussing, because I feel it's two totally sides of the road completely. Yeah. Yeah. These entities that I call the molters, they're they're like serial killers and so i've encountered some of them in the sense that when they first manifest they'll take the form of anything or anyone and and you know sometimes they will appear just as you know innocent right they'll just walk across the room or you'll see them in the corner of your eye and it's not until they mature into grooming their victim that you start to see their true intentions and so you do have some very um, what I call easy hauntings where it's just, you go in and you have to do a, B and C holy water or prayers and blessings. And they leave these entities, especially the incubi that we were discussing in the previous segment. Um, they're there for a reason. They waste no time. They will wait till the husband leaves. They will. I've had cases where they literally lay down in between the husband and wife at nighttime. <laughs> they have Jesus. a different pathology They will work on, they'll separate the man from the woman, groom the woman into intercourse. And, and I don't want to picture on that, but that's, that's the, how they, that's how they operate. Yeah. And so the difference and contrast with other entities is that they're not interested in possession. They're not interested in pregnancy. They're just there for sometimes just to give a, a warning or sometimes just see them and they just pass and they don't even, you know, talk to you. They don't even operate or, in, in, or anything. So just to, just to confirm, to clarify, so you, you do believe that a basic haunting or a spirit or a ghost or whatever right. is part of this category. It's just a lesser evil. Right. 
right? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and we see that in the way they, they operate. And so when you're dealing with a molter, he will manifest in one way or another with the intention of intercourse. Hmm. Uh, they'll bite their victims. They will scar their victims. They will punch the husband, try to kill the husband. I had a case where uh, the husband just really didn't believe his wife that much and said, you know, honey, I do believe that something's going on in your head, but I don't think that this is any, you know, it's not real. And then one night as he was sleeping, he had a nightmare and that entity balled up a fist, punched him right in the face. The next day he was rushed to the hospital with Bell's palsy. No shit. Yes, sir. Hmm. And so that victimology has to be understood because really that's one of the best ways to understand what kind of entity you're dealing with versus an apparition that floats in at nighttime, doesn't even look at you, just walks through the door. You right. understand what well, I'm like, saying? Yeah, like what we think a traditional spook would be. Right. You know, right. Or even a poltergeist. Totally big. Yeah. Right, exactly. So yeah. let's bring some reality into it. Okay. When you talk about these molters, okay, mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd like you to kind of talk a little bit, and you touched really quick on this with, with when I initially heard you. Um, serial killers, real life. We're looking at real life serial killers, real life people who have committed murders, who are in our society. Help connect those two. Explain okay. that. One of the things that we have to understand when dealing with serial killers is that they have a different morality. Yeah. This goes into the nature of evil. They have their own victimology. We have serial killers who would kill someone else's family, but die for their own. Yeah. Okay. Right. Got like the BTK that's a family man. Raider. Yeah. Also a psychopath. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. He has his own own pathology, his own way of doing things. He has his own killing kit. He has his own rituals that he performs. And so when you're dealing with these entities, they are psychopaths in the sense that they will kill and hurt anything in order to help heal themselves. And so they will take from us physically and spiritually and then add it to themselves as a a way of surviving. And so when we're dealing with serial killers, we have to understand that outside of some of them, obviously being, um, you know, mentally unstable and having issues in that area, the other category of these guys are brutally intelligent. They're predatory in nature. They could slip in and out of a home at nighttime without people seeing or hearing them. And they know a measure of human psychology enough to hide in plain sight. That's the key right there. One of them. Okay. Very interesting. So when we're dealing with serial killers, we have to understand that there is consciousness that commandeers them at certain times of their life. And so what we're dealing with is what I call transient possession. It's what what it's really called. Uh, But you're talking about memories that manifest within them that are not their own. So now, so, now so you're talking they, back into the possession realm. Exactly right. Okay, it's the commandeering of consciousness. It's when someone's memory manifests, it steps into them, it, it just shakes them, and then it's just, okay, there's a new belief system in their mind, there's a new morality there, and now there's a new victimology and pathology. It's like um, Raider, it's very interesting. Raider would stage his victims this is the BTK killer, mm. by the way. And then uh, his, his, his uh, only trial he had, they asked him about his last victim, which was a young girl. 
And it was, I forget what the name of the family was, but it was the last victim he killed in the family. He took her downstairs and just, I don't want to go into it. But they asked him where he was in regards to where she was in terms of, you know, how he staged her body. Now, in order to understand what he does here, we have to understand how she was placed. She was hung to put both hands. He put both hands behind her back. Now, watch this. They asked him, so where were you at in proximity to her? And when I watched him access his memory, he puts his hands behind his back as if he was seeing himself through her eyes. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I mean, the audience can't see us all shaking our heads, but we're like, oh, right. we, can, yeah. <laughs> we, we got, they're, yeah. They're wow. self-seeing. They're self-seeing. And so when we're dealing with serial killers, I would like you to picture someone who's talking to you like this, and this is their face, and there's consciousness behind the eyes looking at you during the conversation. And what gives me chills all the time is how sometimes I've seen it in their victimology. It's almost or in the conversation. It's almost like sometimes it'll show up. The atmosphere will change in the interview or be like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. At that moment, that entity's looking at that person and then side-eyeing you. Oh, that's fucking creepy beyond creepy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something to be said about, you know, the eyes of the window to the soul. Exactly. That right. really defines a lot of that. Well, John, I cut you off earlier. I apologize. Did you have a No, um, I was just basically, I was, you took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say like, so they're essentially possessed in some. Yes. In, 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 a, in a transient state, um, who was it? Jeffrey Dahmer. His favorite movie mm. was The Exorcist. Wonder why? His, oh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's probably written about him. And but um, it, his his only living victim said that uh, Dahmer tried to poison him with liquor, but he was a beer guy, mm. and so he went into the restroom, came out, and he said he turned to see Dahmer sitting on his couch, swaying back and forth, speaking in an unknown language. He was in a trance, and that's how he snuck out and got away. But but the victimology the victimology here manifests an ancient belief system that this this individual he's not an academic, right? He has mm-hmm. no degree in, in the theology or the belief systems of the ancient Near East. Then tell me why he would crush up the bones of his victims, burn them to ash, and in a fanning motion sprinkle them out in a necromantic ritual. Okay, so I'll back up and do you a little bit one better. Here's my question. I don't understand when, and and I'm sure we don't, but how do these molters that you're talking about Mm -hmm. pick and choose? What's your theory behind that on how, where do they decide that this is what their power is going to be? This is a body they need to jump into. Okay. They, again, it's, it's very interesting. They will stalk their own crime scenes. Hmm. This is why it's beneficial to go back uh, for researchers to go back into antiquity, even in the middle middle ages, and look at their victimologies and their possessions, and say, okay, why are they doing this? So to answer your question specifically, it was in the 11th century. We have a debuk or a dibic possession, right, of an 11 year old boy who was possessed. And during the the interview of the entity, the exorcist is asking him, "What's your name? When did you die? How did you die? All this stuff." The entity says that he was a pedophile in when he was embodied, when he was living. 
This is very Got interesting. It. Right. Okay. Is this okay to talk so, about? So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. The, the, the person that the entity possessed was a pedophile before the possession. No. Is, no. This, okay. this is, gets even worse, my friend. The possessing entity was a pedophile. Oh. Okay. Right? The, yeah. the victim, Mology, is an 11-year-old boy. Oh yeah. Okay. So so. Oh Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I just got it. Okay. That's. Is it okay to? No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So this entity is being questioned and badgered by this exorcist. Finally, the guy says, "Look." He goes. Uh, his father took him to an apple orchard. He picked an apple from a tree. He said, and it just so happened to be that it was under that tree that I committed my first act of pedophilia. Hmm. His victimology in life was the same victimology in death. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, really, it's him. I, he's just got, him. he's just wearing skin again. You're right. And so that has to be understood. So one thing, again, it's, it's a serial killer aspect. They will haunt their own crime scenes. Wow. How, okay. What's your ideas about, and then I want to kind of, curb it because there's other things that I, yeah. we'd like to kind of grab that really kind of i don't know it stuck me back a little bit when you you tied the two together and I, we'll get into it in a little bit but when you talk about these these molters these entities in history are are we talking hundreds thousands i mean what do we yeah obviously they've been going around and around in cycles through centuries what's that look like what are we looking at there right, do we even know we're looking at entities who look like men, but they're not. See, when you molt your own body, which is what they did, you go into a new belief system. It's a new dimension where there's new, not I wouldn't say a religion, but there's new currencies. One of them is blood. That's why they want blood sacrifices. They want consciousness. But when they molt their bodies, they went into this super mode, I say sometimes. It was as if they left one room, went out into a larger room around the one room, right? And realized what really matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then re-entered our world as gods now because they have a better understanding of reality. They've seen they, across the veil or something. You're exactly right. It thin just enough yeah. for them to understand what we're still learning. Huh. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, absolutely. How do you, so, cause this is terrifying to me. Um, <laughs> Thank you. How do you, how do you avoid, how, how would one avoid? Cause you know, I, I'm not looking to get possessed or go to a, a, a crime scene where somebody's stalking it. And all of a sudden I am insane. How would one go? How, like, how do you even avoid something like that? If I mean, you know, they're, histories happen all over the world and every square inch of the earth, practically, you know, like how would you avoid that? I would say obviously it's prevention is better than intervention. If it's an incubus case, it's after a female period. That's it. Mm. Okay. Because it's trying to procreate. It can't procreate with a man. You know, it's a spirit, a male spirit that's trying to take seed, place it into a living woman. Mm -hmm. And so there's different pathologies uh, that they have. And so your incubi definitely wants a woman. Um, I've had cases, this is very interesting, especially a woman who has not had a vasectomy. See, if it was sex that they're after, then the victimology would include all women, right? 
not just women who are fertile and have wombs. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You mean a, a man that has a vasectomy. So if they do that, uh, then they're yeah. not, they, they do uh, no good, right? Right, right. Okay, exactly. Okay, okay. So I've had women, now this is very interesting too, women have had cases of, of entities visiting them at night, grooming them in their intercourse, and then looking at them and saying, wait a minute, you don't have a womb anymore. Oh, okay. All right. Right. And then everything stops and that entity never even touches them again. Hmm. Well, boys, cross my fingers for an incubi because I know that I'll be safe, at least for that one. Um, here's what's the worst experience you've had. If you had to chalk it up or even some that really in, in your years of experience, I, I think on your bio, you said you had 15 or more um, with everything of just direct experience. What? And, and, and again, it might be personal, Nathaniel, and if you don't want to get into it, that's, that's absolutely understood. But what's one of the, the, one of the highlights and the worst things that you've just encountered that really shook your foundations a bit? It was the murder case I had. Mm. Um, it was very interesting because I, I stepped into, I wouldn't call it a gift. I don't know what I would call it. But I was operating in a measure of spiritual warfare that I'd never experienced before. I was sitting at a restaurant and I got a, a private message on Facebook. It was from a family. And they said, you know, we've had a murder here at the house and there has been paranormal, paranormal activity before and after the murder. And so we would like you to come investigate and pray with us. And as I'm responding to the family, I'm in my mind, I'm walking upstairs and I'm turning around and I see a closet in a room. And I knew that entity was in the closet. Hmm. And uh, when I got there, the entire house was stained with consciousness. I mean, you, they had cut up the carpet. It was a very brutal, brutal murder. But it, it, and I guess what had happened was this entity had possessed both the daughter in the family and her best friend. And so the best friend really? would often stalk the family at like midnight. They would be watching television they would look out the window and they would see the best friend standing out in the cornfield, staring at them. Wow. And so one night the husband uh, is, he was disabled and uh, I think he was a vet and he's laying on the couch watching television. It's a school night. His daughter comes down, opens the door. The 15 year old girl comes in mm. and just is a rampage while the girl was committing the act, there was a male disembodied guttural voice coming out of her. Hmm. And so when I got there, the family wasn't even healed up enough from the wounds they suffered to, to grieve. And so they just, they needed help. And so when I got in there, I took one of the family members with me and I said, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know what the hot spots or what you've seen. I just want to go in here dry because I don't want to be influenced. I want to know what, what's right, really going right, on. Right. So I have this, the, the, one of the family members go with me. So I'm going through room to room and I go into this room and uh, go to the closet. And I look down and there is this milk carton full of green uh, model trains. And I looked at the family member and I said, listen, I said, that entity is either in this closet or he's attracted to something in this closet because it reminds him like he's referring back to a certain time. Right. So he's definitely connected to this, this closet. And she goes, okay, okay. She didn't say anything. Thank God. 
And so then we turn around and go to the other closet and there's nothing but fishing gear in that closet. And so then we, we uh, went downstairs because I wasn't feeling much. I kept hearing the victim, which was the husband's wife. It was the wife coming to me. I could hear her, but it was like broken up. And so I'm like, you know what? I can't hear her anymore. I'm going to go downstairs. So I go downstairs. I go into the kitchen. There's a wooden table in the kitchen that's actually there. You can see it. It's there, right? But in my mind, I see her sitting down smoking a cigarette by the table, but there's, there's a chair she's sitting on. It's a wooden chair. So I'm like, okay, where's the wooden chair at? It's definitely not here. So I just put it in the back of my mind. So we go into the living room and I said, so, you know, tell me a little bit about what happened now that I have everything on, on, you know, my voice recorder. The husband says, he goes, you know what? He goes, uh, he goes, you mentioned earlier, because I did about a spirit that was very violent. It was male. That's why it was possessing the 15 year old. Right. And I said, so who would want to kill your wife? He said, well, he said, my father-in-law was a drug addict and an alcoholic. He said he was part of a motorcycle gang. And he said he would beat my wife unconscious all the time. Jeez. He said, that was one of the reasons why he said, I had just pulled up one day when we were, while we're, they were dating. He said, I told her, put all your stuff in my car. I've got to get you out of here or he's going to kill you. Gosh, jeez. So as we're talking, the atmosphere changed and I felt an entity coming to my right who was like blood curdling, like just angry. I mean, if he could have killed me, he would have. And as we're talking, he said that he, his, his father-in-law would go into fits of rage and he said he would beat his wife and then uh, beat the, the victim unconscious. He said the only way that they could get him out of this stupor is to put him in a car, take him to Toys R Us and buy him green model trains. Oh, Jesus Christ. It all comes back. He said, matter of fact, when he died, we put all of this stuff upstairs in a closet. So the family member didn't know this. The, the one that went up with, with me to the, to the rooms and her jaw hit the floor. She said, wait a minute. She said, what about the fishing gear that was in the other closet? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a big bass fisherman. When he died, we put all of his gear in that closet, too. Oh, Jesus. He said, matter of fact, Nathaniel, you know who made, oh, God, I got chills. He said, you know who made that wooden table in the kitchen? Huh. I said, who? He said, he did. He said, and you're right, the chair's outside in the garage. I'll be damned. Wow. When he, and I, she put a, um, on my, I think it was my Instagram page. She didn't go into detail, but she put a personal testimony out there. Uh, they, you know, it's very interesting. But. God. <clears throat> that entity manifested. And when we're, we were talking, I could feel his power just emanating in the room. And there was a gross darkness that had overshadowed the entire house. When you walked in, you could just feel it. And it was like three or four shades darker than it should have been. When I began to pray with them, I called upon an angel that I've been working with since my youth. I called upon him. And when I did, there was an atheist. He was in the corner of the room. And he told me when I first got there, guys, said, look, no offense, Nate. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in spirits or anything. So I said, okay, whatever. You know, we get into this, this warfare and 
there was a blast of heat that entered into the living room. The, so what I did is I told everybody to bow their heads and I went to pray. And when I did, the husband began to burn, not physically, but he began to do this number and began to slap his arms and scream. And he said, oh, my God, it burns. It burns. Get off me. It burns. It burns. Hmm. I looked over and I see the atheist. He's got both arms like this and he's on his knees and he's shaking, crying. And I, I said, simply, I said, this, this entity's name was Doug. And I said, God, I said, I'm asking you to take Doug where he needs to be. And I said, I want you to take him by his neck and drag him out of this house. When I said that, there was something that broke in the atmosphere. And you, it was like someone slowly turned a light on and you could see the darkness and the shadows just leave. Hmm. Hmm. And when you listen to the, the voice recorder, you can hear people go, Oh my God, did someone turn the light on? Because it was the entity had left the gross darkness had left. So we went around the entire house checking if it was just us and it wasn't I'll be damned. now there's a second foot that has to fall here. About two weeks after that, sitting down at the same restaurant that I was sitting down when I got the original message, there's a lady sits next to me. I'm talking same restaurant, same seat. Yeah. She sits, she sits next to me. She sees I'm reading a book. She asks me what I do. I get into this case. I didn't obviously didn't go into too much details, too many details, rather. Obviously, no names. But she says, Nathaniel, I can tell you that I know you're telling the truth, but I can't tell you how I know. Hmm. Okay. Three shots of alcohol later. <laughs> Always works. Yeah. Starts crying and says, listen, I'm the social worker that's working with both of these victims. She said oh the night, God. watch this. She said, I, hand to God, hand to God. She said the night that you went and cleansed that house, one of the girls came to me and said, the demon came to me and said, I can't be visiting you in your jail cell anymore. I've got to go. No shit. I swear to God. That just tied everything in a, ah, fuck. That is now, crazy. Yes. What it had done, though, and this gets back into the victimology and why it is that they do what they do. It could not open its own door. It could not or for some reason would not. Right. Just pick up a knife because they pick up other stuff. Right. They do that. Why couldn't they do that himself? It, it couldn't. It had to have human consent. Because it's still bound. Right. There's still laws that's bound. There's still laws it's operating under. Isn't that fascinating, man? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's by, the way, by the way, real quick, it wasn't um, vasectomy. It was the other one. The female gets up. Hysterectomy. It. Hysterectomy. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's I'm fine. sorry. I, I, yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're, you're fine. I, I just want to clarify. Um, we're going to take another quick break and then I, I've got a couple quick little questions. I, I want to follow up on what you were talking about. Then I have another one and John, Josh, you know, by all means, feel free. Uh, uh, stand by everybody. Listen and find additional content at mystrangeuncles.com or wherever you get your pods. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us gain visibility. Uh, you can call us at 801-252-69. Yeah, boy. 45. Uh, also, you can find us on Twitter at Strange Uncles. And also Instagram and Facebook at Strange Uncles Podcast. Close the gates. Close the gates.
Dude, oh. I nearly fainted when she said that. It's crazy. She, uh, she went out of there crying too. It was very interesting because oh. there was an apparition that came to me um, before I even met her, before I even had the murder case. Yeah, but uh, it, his name was Christopher. And I told him because she obviously she had uh, worked in the um, children's services and was a social worker. And I said, you know, I said, I, I had this apparition come to me. His name's, his, I didn't tell her his name yet, but I said he was uh, um, a little black boy. And I said he had a, a little sister and they were in a, a, what was it, a taxi. And I said, when I was, I was in there in the car with them and I was looking around, and I saw these big skyscrapers. And I said, and he came to me and I said, for some reason, he's coming back to me as I'm talking to you. And I said, he, he calls you his mother, but you were mm-hmm. never his mother. And I said, it was almost as if you guys were torn away before there was time. She started crying, started shaking. And then she grabs a hold of her husband and she says, don't say his name. I said, his name is, and we said it both at the same time, Christopher. Oh, wow. Um, very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. But I don't want to pick trail into that. No, that's so... Uh- so I've got a question when it comes to that, and this goes back to um, religion, and this goes back yep. to belief. With everything that you've studied, you've researched, what you've been experiencing, you talk, uh, obviously you're a man of faith to a certain point because you believe in God. Right. How does that – was that ever shaken? No. Okay. It wasn't, and it wasn't because I experienced things that I couldn't fit into my blueprint. Uh, I think that these things have been happening for centuries. It's up to dogmatism to realize if it doesn't fit into our blueprint, then we have to adjust our blueprint. Right. Yeah. And, th- and that's why I asked that question <laughs> because you have a lot of, um, and I'm not going to say suppose Christians. I, I'm an right. ordained minister personally. I spent two years yeah. in the school doing it, but I don't believe in your proverbial God. I just don't. I, I just, I read yeah. every scripture out there. It just doesn't work for me, but there's, right. everybody has their own faith, their belief, you know, where do they get their morals? Do they get it from God or do they just get it because they're a human being and they should already have morals. So right. you have right. these other people that maybe when you describe this to non-believers, um, what's the way you go? What, how do you approach that to people that go, uh, sorry, you're a kook, you're over here. You know, I don't understand that. My God's my God. And there's no such thing as what's your premise to that? Well, I think that to a degree, you're going to have skeptics. I think that we have to define our terms. When we say the word God or God, rather, um, I would communicate that as a higher power. And then I would keep whittling down to where they would have to say there is no higher power. And then I would say, okay, there's no authority. Then, then, then we have to say, okay, at one point or another, you're going to have to look at the victimology here. You have to say, why, what, what morality are they following? That, where they? that That's one of the best things I've heard for a description. That, thank you very much, Nathaniel. That makes where, absolute sense. Yeah. Where, where did they get theirs? Because it's one thing to, to question what we're experiencing in this dimension. What about theirs? Where are they getting this belief system from? Because we have people who have lived and died and still hold to these things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's skip the record a little bit. I want to touch bases and then we can wrap up again. Appreciate your time. It's just a phenomenal um, subject matter. Uh, Something that I heard when everything was tying together was your thought patterns on there was a connection between what you have been discussing this whole time and UFO abductions and aliens and that thing. Let enlighten us on that just, just a brief bit. Okay. So what we're dealing with are entities that will pull consciousness out of a body to replace it with a new consciousness or someone else's consciousness. Now, in antiquity, we have two different kinds of souls. We have the external soul, which is the body. 
You have the internal soul, which is the apparition. Now, what I mean by the link between UFO abduction phenomena and demonology is how they manifest in what they're after. So if we go back to Genesis 6, the Apocryphon of John, you remember how I said that, number one, they would harvest semen from the victims, mm-hmm. and then they appear to them, the wives, as in the image of their husbands, right? And, right, and they right. would get them into intercourse. Well, Dr. Carla Turner's work describes that explicitly. She's a UFO abduction researcher. Sadly, she's passed now. Um, but she worked with a gentleman by the name of Ted Rice, who, uh, I mean, she worked with him for a long time. And Ted was abducted first at the age of nine. Hmm. He was abducted along with his grandmother. His grandmother and, and him, were they were in this metallic room, there's a hybrid entity that walks up to her and guess what? Hello, Incubus, tries to groom her into intercourse. Why? Because I guarantee you, he's harvested semen from someone else, Right. Just like an incubus. Then when she looks at him and says, I've only been intimate with one man and it's my husband. (laughs) And he's been deceased for 11 years. Now, according to the victimology, because it doesn't lie. And what I told you when we begin this, this, this entire interview, every time they manifest into this world, they leave something behind. It's their Hmm. victimology. Next thing you know, an apparition of her deceased husband comes out of the corner of the room thinking that now she will be willing to have intercourse with these entities. That's very interesting because if you take that's I'm not even going to explain it. If you take that away, so nobody looks at that perception value of that. They just assume that the aliens are doing whatever alien technology can do to make them feel more comfortable during their abduction, right? Right. That, yeah. And that's for, for a long time. That's the way we thought. But they're ancient. In my mind, if someone would say, you know what, Nathaniel, what do you believe these are? These are the most gifted apocalyptic species of necromancers you could ever conjure in your mind. Ever. Hmm. Watch this. How did they know what her husband looked like? Number one. Number two, was that his apparition or was that his corpse? Because in the medieval ages, they were using corpses to copulate with witches, not apparitions. Cover corpse pollution briefly. <laughs> okay, cool, man. So corpse pollution is the origin of possession and your exorcistic right. Sprinkling holy water. It comes out of the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 19 and verse 11. It says that whenever someone comes in contact with the corpse by touching it or inhaling the ghost, you become defiled by that deceased entity. So in that passage, they introduce to us what's called the open vessel law. And that was basically that it wasn't just touching a corpse that would defile you. They believed that whenever a person died, there was a ghost or a gas, a ghastly apparition that would leave the body and float into the house and fill every void in the house. We would call that possession. Mm-hmm. And they said that even vessels, specifically pottery that had food in it, if it did not have a lid on it, it was also defiled, right? Sorry. Do you You're think not- this defines a little bit of when people talk about objects being possessed or yes. they have? Okay. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Why? Because it's looking for the voids, right? 
It goes in, steps in, and now it's defiled you. And so it was called corpse pollution. Now, in the Cantonese tradition, that 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 ghastly apparition, that that smoke, right? We would call it that smell of decomp. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating mm-hmm. stuff, guys. Mm-hmm. We would call that possession. In the Cantonese tradition, they called it killing air or an air that you inhale that will kill you. Why? Because you're inhaling disincarnate consciousness. That's why it smells like its own corpse. Now, I'm going to go here with this. It's very important that our runner researchers realize that when you go into a house and you smell a disincarnate entity, it is actively trying to possess you. Hmm. So immediately Hmm. leave if you smell that. I would. I'm an inventor. I would immediately begin to manifest uh, amulets and and everything I could. It's trying to get into us. It's not just wanting to wear us a skin. It it wants to be the air we breathe. Okay. So, so back. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're fine. Go Uh, ahead, John. So kind of going back to your very first experience when you were eight years old in the new house and you said you could kind of smell that um, decomposition and everything. Um, Do you, and you're saying that's an active kind of, uh, 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 it's, it's, it's a mechanism to them. It's a way so, that they can get into us. Yeah. But possession. Um, would you say that that's ever, uh, have you ever been possessed or no. your parents or anyone living in the house? Was that ever a successful thing? No, sir. No, sir. No, that would happen to me when everyone was asleep at night. And I don't know why I wasn't possessed. I can only say that it had to have been the teacher being silent during the test. And for some reason, um, I had to go through that, right, to, to get to where I am in my research today. But that's what they believed. And that's why they would, after that, they would perform the exorcistic rite. Wow. Hmm. Right? And so that leads ah. me into another question, man. I mean, my God, are these angels? If they're fallen angels, then why are they acting like dead people? Thank yeah. you. I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this the whole time. I mean, the, the two, I, I don't understand that. Why would you, right. if you're going to try to coax somebody, right? And you're going to mm-hmm. be that, that hoaxer, you, you yeah. would think you would find a better fucking method, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. But these entities, you know, a lot of them have their same belief systems, but it's all a very fascinating subject. But one thing that we also have to get into is not just the victimology, but the scarification. So, so Father Sinistrari of Amina, he's a Franciscan demonologist and priest. He would go into homes where an incubus would manifest and he would get in there within an hour of the event taking place, collect semen samples. And then he would sit down with doctors and they came to a very chilling conclusion that these entities were milking the carcasses of the deceased, taking that. See, they've mutated guys, right? They've mutated. They took that and would go and act like an incubus and then try to put it in a living woman. This gets back to the missing fetus syndrome and the UFO abduction phenomenon. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you right now, Nathaniel. That right there is like, I is you, we missed the bridge. Like I'm, I got to jump that, that canyon to get from point A to point B. That yeah. is mind blowing. If you think about that, if that's really what they're, but then again, obviously these things are, 
it's just debauchery to the utmost. There's no good to them, obviously. So I, I could see that they, they would just do the worst they could ever do. And I, to me, that's, that's that, you, you know what I mean? That's crazy. You're, you're right. And so Sinistrari would uh, have these victims and he had one victim that would, that actually died. And it wasn't, it wasn't at the hand of the incubus, but this woman died later on in her life, obviously. And so anyways, they were doing the autopsy and they peeled her eyelids back and the entity had scarved, had, had carved his own symbols underneath her eyelids. Oh, Jesus. So it goes back to the understanding that what they're doing is they're, they're using our women as larva. Hmm. In a, in a way. Yeah. Of and that's why yeah. your medieval demonologists called the incubus and the incubi rather in plural larva. It's an early form of life. And so that leads me to maybe another show. Maybe we'll do later on or something, but is possession pregnancy. And we've been looking at it wrong the entire time. Oh my God. Never thought about that, man. Yeah. I, Okay, so I don't even know. I don't even know how to unwrap that question. Yeah, yeah, you that's, have that's possession okay. cases where you've seen the, the the spirit in the fetal position in the womb. Wow. Well, and there's a lot of possession cases too, where literally there's scars on the belly or the abdomen, and and that's that's common right. for a lot of the exorcisms. And so here's a question for you, and we'll wrap up again. You know, we're looking at the time. I appreciate your time and everything. This is just unboxing. This is gonna take us a bit um we could be here for another four hours (laughs) yeah it's crazy um when you talk about going back to religion going back to possession going back to you know i asked you earlier about you know these 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 books that were written about the names of the demons and who's who and what's what i i was always fascinated and again i'm i'm from a standpoint where and and actually all of us i'm sorry we're we're, we just don't believe in that traditional god and we discuss that you know maybe that doesn't fall under whatever catalog that might be but when you talk about um, Catholicism, for example, mm-hmm. where they felt they had a need for a book of exorcism. Mm-hmm. Where where do you stand with that? Like, how how come the Catholics have an issue? How come other religions didn't see a need for that, or is it just a matter of having blinders on, and there were they just didn't explain well, they, it? They wanted to strip the tradition from Judaism. They wanted they, that's why they took the tradition and act like they authored it. You know. They didn't offer okay. the exorcistic, right? They didn't even, they didn't write it. They didn't come up with it. Then honestly, they haven't made any developments with it. Agreed. <laughs> it's just, yeah. You know, it's just, here it is, blah, blah, blah. And, I, and it's not to disrespect them. I have many uh, uh, heroes and, and authors in my library that are Catholic, uh, but it's not their right. It's yeah. not their um, exorcisms. It's not theirs at all. They just took it and stole it and kind of stripped it of its origin so that they could hold their authority in the church. Now in the 16th century, during the same time that the debuk phenomenon was going on in Israel, you had Catholic exorcists who were just then trying to figure out if Satan even existed. Mm. That's how far behind they were. And so it was very interesting, but that's when they solidified and they said, you know what guys, um, we're dealing with horns and hooves, and we're not necessarily dealing with disincarnate entities. And my response to that is I have met demons that are dumb as heck. Hmm. They're not literate. They don't know much about anything. They, they are stuck in their own belief system. And it's, it's weird how they all know Latin. <laughs> I was going to say that it leads back right? to that 
that language, that old proverbial. That's crazy. Yeah. Because it's almost as if they were Catholic at once. And now they possess somebody who they know will go to a Catholic person. Yeah. Huh. It, it's natural for them. It's, it's new. It's um, familiar ground for them yeah. per se. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's not, not unlike the debook phenomenon. Um, I tell this story all the time and I'll, and we can wrap it up and everything. I don't want to pay trail, but um, Rabbi Sakudo, a Kabbalistic exorcist in the 16th century, he went to bed one night and had a dream where his favorite student who had died came to him and said, master, I need your help. And he said, I will come to you tomorrow. And so Rabbi Sakudo, or yeah, Rabbi, actually, I'm sorry. It was Jaime Vital. Forgive me. Jaime Vital. Mm-hmm. Vital goes to bed. He wakes up the next day and he goes throughout his work day, goes home, fixes food, takes a shower, goes back to bed. So it's been 24 hours now. And he's thinking in his mind, man, maybe it was the Taco Bell I had the night before. Right. Maybe that dream was just a fluke and, you know, whatever. So he's nodding off to sleep. And then there comes a, a knock on his door. He gathers himself together, walks out. He opens the door, sees a mother with a 12-year-old daughter. The daughter looks at him, makes eye contact, and says, Hello, Master. I told you I would come today. Oh, Jesus. Is that horns and hooves? No. No. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that we have to at least redefine our understanding of demonology. Mm -hmm. It's not new life discovered. It's old life discovered in a new way. Yeah, I think I think that's even more terrifying than you know uh, hooves and horns. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, some innocent innocent little girl outside your door, or just some old man walking down the street, or something. I mean, that's uh, well, well, yeah. At least horns and hooves. You, you can, see a demon, you know, like all right, I'm going to stay away from that. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you see yeah. some like uh, old dude walking down the street, or uh, you know, something. Yeah. Something yeah, yeah. that seems familiar, familiar and okay. Like, yeah, I mean, if I if I see something with horns and hose driving a Prius, I'm 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 gonna go the opposite direction. That's not something I'm gonna be in charge of. But you know, you it's just a what a what a weird masquerade game. It it's just Nathaniel fascinating, very very fascinating. Um, I think so. You actually, we've read a little bit about you have a book that's out. I think you have another one that if it's not out, it's on the way. It's called Pre-order, The Skin That right. Crawls. Is that is that correct? Yes, sir. It's um, the link to it's on my Instagram page and my bio and it's up for pre-order. I have some more research to add to it so I can make it kind of a better compendium. Okay. But yeah, it's out. Yeah. Um, um, what are, what are they, what are they called? Uh, the first one is a moment called man. The second book is the skin that crawls. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. And you can pre-order that, uh, from your Instagram page. Yes. Yep. That's the, that's the best, that's the best place to go. Yes, sir. Okay. Yep. Great. Um, what are the projects? Anything else you want to promote at this point? You've done us a, a huge solid. Number one, we you know, thank you, Michelle. I'm going to reach out to her and thank her because uh, you know we we've been. She was brought up your name and she was immediately on on the cusp of, to get you on and and much appreciated. Oh, yeah. um, anything else on your side that we can help you with or you want to promote? Uh, well, I, I do want, and this is a crazy dream of mine. But once I get this skin that crawls out, I want to make it into a movie or a series. Because I think that even if even if we label it as fiction, if we can get this information out to a greater audience, it will help weaponize our weaponize us, you know, and help us understand mm-hmm. it more. Other than that, my next step is uh, behavioral analysis. I want to understand why they're doing what they're doing, why it is that they're employing their own symbolism and branding our women and their victims. 
Well, with everything that you've explained that's during this interview, gosh. I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be a lot of wood to chop. But if anybody can do it, I I, I feel like you have the ambition for it um, for sure. Thank you. you know. Thank you. So anyway, Nathaniel, thank you very much, John. Josh, you have anything at all on your side? No, thank you. That was fascinating and also terrifying. I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight, but um, thank you so much for spending your evening with us. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'd love to have you back on. Let us know when we get, uh, you know, you get your your skin the crawls out. Anything yeah. else? We'd love to promote and have you because I, I feel like we just really touched um, the tip of the blade here on on a lot of points. So uh, yeah, Definitely. God, thank you, man. I'm excited, guys. It's a, it's it's an honor to be with you guys, and I'm excited to be back on in the future. Outstanding, yeah. Nathaniel. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Not a problem, guys. You guys have a good one. You as well. Bye. Cheers. Wow. There it was. I, I mean, honestly, I just... He, so here's the thing, and we talked a little bit about this during the break. Um, I, I understand what he's saying. I get his viewpoints and what happens. My whole thing, and one of the questions I was going to ask him is, you know, how do you... How do you and, and not necessarily that he wants to do that, but how do you sell this? How do you sell this to the person who is that non-believer, who is that... Maybe they're just dabbling their toes in the high strangeness they believe in you know they see their grandpa in the closet whatever have you sitting on their bed but it really doesn't go deeper than that because i feel like he really there's layers here that nathaniel rolled out and and i i honestly don't know how to unbox them right yeah yeah well and i guess to the non-believer it doesn't matter if you believe if if somehow this is truly happening then it's there regardless if you want to believe it or not and I don't know. I wonder if he'd ever take an atheist on a on a on a uh, I don't know a case. Well, he I mentioned mean, a better word. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He mentioned there was an atheist during that. Yeah, during talking case. about how his skin was burning, but like it was like kind of in your mind. I would something. like to talk to that atheist, um, you know, and yeah. see what his viewpoints are now. Yeah, yeah, man. I don't know. I mean, I've done like a sweat lodge, and it gets pretty wild and intense. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, my belief system is not the same, but I still felt something, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it um, does. It does. I, well, that's one thing that I wanted to kind of, you know, we asked him during the interview is, you know, when you look at different religions, you look at Catholicism. Why do they have a need to have a book of exorcism? Why do they, you know, obviously he's well, a man of God. So I can answer that. <laughs> well, I didn't want to derail the uh, conversation earlier, but. Oh, in the trickster and the paranormal, um, in Touché, the sir. I just uh, in the section I just read, uh, Hansen talks about um, how during the Reformation, one of the big things the Protestants wanted to uh, kind of get away from from uh, Catholicism, besides not being able to get divorced and the clergy being able to fuck, was uh, getting rid or moving away from at least the. Uh, mysticism of the catholic church and so that's why a lot of protestant like episcopalian faiths don't necessarily have uh exorcism rites and stuff like that because it's it's that that's more they tried to strip strip away that uh mysticism and make it more about like less supernatural and paranormal and more about like more god yeah more abstract i guess you could say you know yeah um 
Well, so, okay, here's a question. When you get into stuff like that, you, and I was talking to a guy the other day, you know, take the Mormon religion, for example. You know, yes, okay, this is, you know, it's in the Bible, they had the Book of Mormon, da da da. But there's some really fucking deep line mysticism mm-hmm. in the Mormon religion if you really get up higher on the tier, you know? Well, and, and part of that's really true, and it's not even very much higher up on the tier. It's just like, even like me growing up learned a lot about that. Like, they, when you're like, 10 or 12 or something they like teach you how to avoid uh temptations of the devil meaning like uh fallen angels manifesting to you trying to deceive you oh but damn so it's it's basically like if you are visited by an entity that's claiming that you should do something because god wants you to uh the test is to offer your hand like a handshake um because like high angels, good angels, whatever, you know, not devil people. Um, They're gonna devil do that. people, devil yeah, people. <laughs> so the good Rob ones are still in the uh, in the presence of God, and they know that they're physical or that they're not physical, and that they uh, can't touch you. So they'll just be like, whatever, dick. But um, the bad ones can't. Like they're so vain that they can't not try. And um, so, so they'll try to shake your hand and they'll be eth- ethereal and pass through your hand and you'll be like, ha, gotcha. Right. Gotcha. And it's demon <laughs> Casper super reductive. <laughs> but like, I mean, I remember here being taught that when I was very young. Well, and there's something with Nathaniel that I just, it fascinates me with the different religions. Why, how come one feels like they need to have this and one doesn't like we talk about, you know, Catholicism, stuff like that. I always assume maybe these other one, these branch offs, like you were discussing, Josh, Maybe they don't, you know, they, they want to get rid of the supernatural, kind of put this on the side. And I thought, well, maybe it's because they're fairly new. But, you know, when you talk about like Mormonism, Mormonism's fucking as new as new gets. So it, yeah, it's just, like I don't think years. that. So that kind of blows my theory out of the water, you know, with Lutherans and Episcopalians but and all these other ones. What you got to remember, though, is they're all Christian religions. They all come from the same source, right? True. So they all yeah. come from. There's a root there. Yeah, they all are offshoots of Catholicism at some point and Catholicism is basically an offshoot of Judaism. So there's a lot of the same mystic mystical rites and beliefs and stuff. Right. 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 Uh, like Nathaniel was saying, like, sure. The Catholics, uh, tried to strip the Judaic, uh, Judaicness out of it. I don't know how to phrase that. Right. But, um, like, uh, they're still, they all come from the same place. And I think that the newer offshoots of the like Christian religions just are more modern and less like believing that there is a devil or a demon around every corner. Like it's more yeah. of a, yeah. the great deceiver is out to get you, but like there aren't foot soldiers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. I, you know, I, I thought it personally was a great interview. I think, um, you know, he kind of stepped a little bit more into what, what that whole idea is for the most part. Um, I'd love to have him back again. I, I don't know, you know, listeners, let us know what you think. It's just, when you get into demonology, it's always a weird number one. I don't much like it because I, 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 it, it, it doesn't sound good. It affects you a little bit more on that side. Like you could, what if you open your door like John, you know, during the interview, you know, so how do we not do that? How do we not get possessed? How do we not go down that road? 
And, you know, according to Nathaniel, it's like, oh, shit, it's a crapshoot. Anybody could, you know, have that happen to them. You know, corpse pollution. Then what do you do? You know? So. Yeah. You get sprinkled with the holy waters. Absolutely. One way or another. Anyway, it was very good interview. Loved it. Uh, It was really good. Nathaniel, thank you so much for coming back, uh, for coming on. I I thought it was awesome. Um, Hopefully we did you justice. Uh, Can't wait to finish your book. Skin the crawls when that comes out. It's on pre-order right now. Order it. Uh, and he has another one too that's out. Um, I don't know. Very enlightening for the most part, for sure. Uh, for those of you who are listening, you can go ahead and you can write us if you enjoy him or anything else at strangejungles at gmail.com. You can actually call us at 801 252 69 Ghost <laughs> 45. And let us know. You know, if you have a story that maybe relates to that, and I know that I have people that I know, friends I know, family members I know that that they think they had a, a brush with a demon. Um, as said as that, you know, even after Halloween it doesn't just stop at Halloween. You know, it could get any time in the year for sure. And we've had other guests on too that have uh, have had experiences and it's scary. You know, I talked to Mike Purdue in depth with that and, and yeah, it, it's you're going down the road when you talk about demonology more than you, you probably want so you gotta kind of have that protection so Nathaniel again thank you very much uh, we, you can follow us on all podcast platforms uh, social any of you guys want to take social sure uh, we're strange uncles podcast on Instagram and Facebook strange uncles on Twitter uh, you can slide into them DMs let us know what's up absolutely that's all our show is. And then the next episode we're going to do for TN News and uh, hopefully cap it off for Thanksgiving weekend. I hope everybody has a decent Thanksgiving. I, I think more than anything, if you absolutely don't have to fucking travel and be with your family, don't. Let's play the game. Let's try to be safe the best we can. That's all I ask from everybody. I know here in Utah, we double almost in a week and it's uh, it's not good. So be safe. Try to be safe. But anyway, we'll talk to you guys before the holidays are over and uh, close the gates.